0: Jeremiah, chapter 18, verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay, was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do this with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done? Says the Lord. Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, but if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intend to bring on it, and at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if that, if, but if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, look I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now all of you from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. Psalm 139 verse 13. or it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God.
1: As members of this congregation rec- readily recognize, and those of you watching in video land will probably discern if you're looking at the program that I am not Ann Stout. <laughs> Earlier this week, or last week, uh, Tim, not Stout, her husband, Uh, tested positive for COVID and has as of yesterday had not tested positive but according to our protocol because she definitely been exposed she was not be coming today so she called and asked me if if I would uh, deliver the sermon fortunately she quickly said I've already written it i don't think i have read somebody delivered somebody else's words in a sermon for more than half a century but practice is not without precedent in my life um some of you know i started preaching when i was 14 and our our preacher at the time the natalia church of christ gave me a book and said here's some sermons pick one of those out and preach it well that was not an uncommon practice in fact billy graham spoke of having when he was in florida bible institute that People appreciated good sermons and passed them out and he preached one and was just really, he thought it was a wonderful one and someone told him that a friend of his had preached that same sermon two weeks earlier with with all the details. Um, When I was a freshman, when I was at Abilene Christian, we had an annual lectureship and a feature of that was a great tent or later a gymnasium where there were various uh, exhibits of people's ministries, but in the center of it always was a big book table. Huge one, and a chief feature of those were sermon books, sermon outlines, a lot of them. The, out, the so sermon outlines amounted often, and I had I bought some of those. They were maybe one page, and they would be a line: say how to be saved, no, how to be saved, be born again, John three five, John three five. Uh, what do I need to do? Act, well, repent and be baptized, and uh, remission remission of sins, and uh, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts two thirty eight. Uh, And Baptism, unlike Baptists said, does save, 1 Peter 3.21. Church attendance is very important, Hebrews 10.25. And the only church mentioned by name in the Bible is the Churches of Christ, uh, Romans 16.16. Well, it was that kind of thing, and and, uh, I would memorize those scriptures, and sometimes I'm sure my sermon sounded a little bit like a scripture auction. But, uh, Pete would say, that boy sure doesn't know his Bible. (laughs) Uh, but sometimes uh, I would uh, uh, use the full text or what I could type, type up of it. One practice, my, my freshman year at uh, college, I was 16 and 17 during that year, and I was senior minister at the Lingleville Church of Christ, which was about 90 miles away. And one of the things I did, and a habit that I really enjoyed, driving back after the second service, so I was taking five classes and preaching two sermons a week, preparing two sermons a week, or typing two sermons a week. Uh, but uh, I was anxious for material. But driving back on Sunday evenings, I would listen, first of all, most of the things I really enjoyed were listening to border radio, which on Sundays amounted to a lot of preaching. XCG, the 1050 spot on your radio dial, or XERF with Paul Callender, your good neighbor along the way, from Ciudad Coahuila, Coahuila, Mexico. Ciudad Acuna, Coahuila, Mexico. I grew fascinated with uh, radio preachers and wound up writing about 20 articles in magazines and journals about uh, religious broadcasting. So that shaped my life in an interesting way. Uh, But one of the preachers that I listened to on Sunday night was a Church of Christ preacher named V. E. Howard and his son went to Abilene and I knew him and brother Howard was a good preacher. He preached good sermons, not of the scripture auction side. And uh, it was just about half an hour of time and I could—I had a pretty good memory and I would use some of those sermons from time to time thinking no one would recognize that at all. One, one Sunday morning after church, one of the old brothers said, you gonna preach on Naaman tonight, Bill? Well, yes, I am. How did you know? Well, Brother Howard preached on it last Sunday, and you didn't preach on it this morning. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, not quite appropriate to um, use um, somebody else's words. I mean, to, and not take credit of them. So uh, I'm happy to, to fill that role for Anne. And uh, I know that both of them are both, Tim and Anne are medical doctors. I'm sure they are duly vaxxed and doubly vaxxed, vax, uh, boosted. And we hold them, we trust that they will do well, but we hold them in our prayers and thoughts uh, in, in, these, in these days to come. Um, Lara, several weeks ago, preached a sermon and said that it was by William Sloan Coffin. Well, I'm doing that today. And yesterday, when Anne wasn't really sure she would whether she was going to test positive or not, checking with David, she found that the, the covenant protocol appropriate that says if you're within, that you've gone five days after being knowing you've been exposed, well, don't come. So she said, "Get ready, put on your Sunday best." This is not actually maybe my Sunday best, but uh, as every gentleman knows, you can't wear seersucker after Labor Day. So it was uh, It It was. It was my last time. So, so in that spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of Anne's heart be acceptable in the sight of God and be a blessing to you. Raise your hand if you consider yourself to be an artist. Raise your hand if you consider yourself to be a writer. Raise your hand now if you have ever cooked a meal. It looks like most of us have have created something. Now raise your hand if you have ever painted something you didn't like or written something you wadded up and tossed in the trash or had a meal you prepared that didn't turn out that way that you planned and you had to throw it out and start all over. It looks like most of us have had to eat humble pie and accept that the thing we were created did not turn out quite the way we thought it would. We had to begin again. In our scripture today, the prophet Jeremiah tells a lovely story about a potter working at a wheel to create something. He's likely making a container of some types and that's what you make on a wheel instead of a replica of an animal or a person or even a God that could be idolized. That's part of another of our sacred stories. The potter and his wheel is a homie scene. You can picture the the spinning wheel, the potter bent over the soft wet clay that he cups between his hands. He almost seems to be praying as he warms to his work. But at one point, he sees that the thing he is making is spoiled. So he begins again, and he ends up with something better. What a wonderful lesson. If at first he did not succeed, Try, try again. At least it starts out as a homie scene. And then it takes a grimless fairy tale turn. The kind where the sweet grandmother is eaten by a wolf or little children are cooked into gingerbread in the oven. Jeremiah hears directly from God that God, just like the potter, will destroy the thing he has created. The entire nation of Israel. So he can begin again and make something better. Too bad for Israel. But there is a plot device, a way out of this bad outcome. The people of Israel are not mere lumps of clay. They have been given brains. They can use the brains God has given them and make a better choice. If they'll smooth out their lumps and straighten their crooked ways, all will be well. How is the nation of Israel to know this better way, this truer shape? God is as graphically direct about this as he is about not breaking down not just breaking down but destroying the first bad pot i picture him grinding it into the ground and putting it with his with his heel he says listen to my words and then decide to make a turn for the better if you make the right choice i will change my mind in one direction if you make the wrong choice i will change my mind again i'll give you another spin on the wheel a spin to win or I will smash you to smithereens. And everything will turn out just as we hope. right? Right? Surely, the people of Israel would choose wisely. Wouldn't you? I should have cut off the lectionary at Jeremiah 18.10. That would be too easy. We're here to listen to God's word and use our God-given brains to understand them. Despite giving Israel these choices, God seems to expect that they will choose poorly. Jeremiah 18 is clear and dark, like one of those grim fairy tales. Why is God planning a disaster? Why does Grandma get eaten by the wolf? Depending on which translation you use, verse 11 reads something like this God, in the guise of a meek, meek and friendly potter, or a wolf in sheep's clothing, if you've paid attention, is out to get Israel, or at least teach them a lesson or at least shake a big stick in their direction to get their attention. He is shaping evil, or devising a plan against, or framing evil, or devising a device, or preparing a disaster for, or bringing harm to, or getting ready to punish, or shaping doom, or bringing trouble, or fashioning calamity. No matter how you translate it, the ending is not good. But not everything that starts in a disastrous way has a terrible outcome. Look at the story of Jesus. I think the same divine potter came up with this plan, too. There's a lot of debate about whether Grimm's fairy tales are good lessons or scary tales, scary stories are just outdated. There's even more heated debate about how to reconcile the God of the Old Testament, the scheming, artistic, devising, creative potter of Jeremiah, with the God of love in the New Testament, represented by Jesus, who, if you have been paying attention, the old potter devised to let die on the cross. Maybe God the Potter, who created this big beautiful world spinning on its axis and knit us together out of the very dust, decided to change himself, to recreate himself in a better image, using the same clay to create Jesus, who came bearing the better message of love. If God can reinvent himself, and he has created us in his image, why can't we? Our senior minister, Lara, would probably shape this into a more congruent story, but I cannot. Instead, I will share with you what God might be telling me through this story and invite you to think about what he might be telling you. When I was was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I learned to think and I put the ways of childhood behind me. Here is how I hear the story of the potter and the wheel as it pertains to my life today. I reserve the right to change my mind about this in the future. This passage is both lyrical and jarring. Who hasn't enjoyed browsing at an art fair and admiring the vessels of all sorts of shapes and sizes, fashioned by hands cradling the vital elements of earth and water on a spinning wheel? No two shapes are identical, nor are the colors or decorations. Yet many are broken in the process, Return to dust too early, for the thing taking shape becomes too fragile and impossible and just collapses under its own weight. The creation does not live up to the artist's vision, and she squashes it down to start anew. For me, this metaphor, like the parables that Jesus will tell, starts like a simple children's story, and then gets confusing. The potter seems to represent God, the ultimate artisan. He created the earth of clay, and out of that dust he drew Adam. God knew us as we were being knitted together in the womb. He created us. This potter, this expert in the ways of clay, this supreme, all-knowing God realizes that his creation is spoiled or marred, even as it is still in his hands. Did his hands mar the work? The passage said that he realized, not that he caused. But how could the let yet formless clay boil itself? However it happened, he did not give up on it. He added some water, perhaps a bit more clay, and reshaped the pot just as he has reshaped me. He formed it in a way that seemed best to him. The passage doesn't say it was best. It seemed best at the time for his given purpose. Maybe later he would change his mind and then change it again as suits him. And he gifted us with a mind that could also change to form itself into a new and better shape and purposes. Have you thought about the kind of shape you have taken? My first shape was a wide mouthed shallow begging bowl asking to be filled and then just as quickly emptied by the world. The bread in the bowl was given away before I could take any nourishment from it. I was left empty and hungry again. That shape worked initially but was spoiled by the wear and tear of the world. God and I recognized this shape was no longer working and worked together to create a better shape. Now I feel more like a pitcher, a vessel being slowly filled with God's love and spirit. We work together to pour out some of this love on others from time to time, but I've learned to treat it gently and to stop and refill it before it is empty. I love my new shape, but I'm conscious that this shape could also become marred and need to be reshaped again for another purpose. I feel strong enough to endure this molding, always cut and supported in God's warm hand. Will you choose to let God reshape your life? What shape will your life take? Will you trust that your first vessel was adequate, but your current rendition is better? Will you trust that the story will end despite the disasters along the way. Will you work with God to begin away again?
0: May it be so.